Welcome to the CoinGecko Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Young. Each week, we will be interviewing someone from the blockchain industry to learn more about this fast-moving cryptocurrency economy. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The CoinGecko Podcast is produced each week to help you stay ahead of the curve. Show notes can be found at podcast.coingecko.com. I highly encourage you to join our newsletter where we send out top news in the crypto industry every Monday to Friday. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter and Telegram at CoinGecko. Welcome to the CoinGecko podcast. For today's episode, we have Kosala Hemachandra, CEO of MyEtherWallet. MyEtherWallet is the leading Ethereum wallet interface, which is free, open source, and secure. Kosala is driven by the idea that blockchain technology will help define a new era of global finance. He has over nine years of experience as a computer engineer and has grown MyEtherWallet into an LA-based blockchain company. Welcome to the CoinGecko podcast, Kosala. Thank you so much for having me, Babe. Yeah, to start things off, Kosala, tell us a little bit more about MyEtherWallet and how do you get started building it? Yeah, so MyEtherWallet is currently the nexus point of all things Ethereum. Like if you are transacting in Ethereum, we support that. We have a whole bunch of dApps that we support. Basically, like you can accomplish any task you want to accomplish in Ethereum using MyEtherWallet. And the beginning of starting of MyEtherWallet goes back to the starting of actual Ethereum mainnet because we started right after like two weeks from Ethereum mainnet launch. So basically the long story short, I got into Bitcoin during my senior year at, at college. I was doing computer engineering as my major. And around the same time, Ethereum yellow paper got released and then I started reading about it and got really into it. And ever since then, I've been following Ethereum through Ethereum's development cycles. and. Eventually, I realized that when Ethereum launched, I realized people were having issues transacting or like sending transactions or looking at their balance, things like that on Ethereum, because at that point in time, only command line tools existed. So it's not, it wasn't easy for everyone to just jump in and then transact or accomplish even the simplest things on Ethereum. So that's Basically, when I decided, okay, I'm going to build an interface to help these people out. And that's the beginning of my wallet. Ever since then, it's 2021. So more than five, it's almost six years. And wow. Time flies. <laughs> I know. Well, I don't know whether we can count 2020. So, but 2020 is still a year. So it's been, yeah, it's been six years. Time flies, definitely. Yeah. What are some of the interesting things that you guys have been working on in the past year? I know past year has been like very slow for a lot of other industries, but that's definitely not the case for crypto projects, especially because like in a way, all like developers work from home anyway. So it's not like a new thing for them. The whole pandemic made everyone work from home, but developers are already used to working from home. So it did not slow it down. So we definitely, as another crypto project, even though we have our office in downtown Los Angeles, we were able to transition very quickly to work from home type of situation. And in order to safeguard the team and make sure everyone's safe and not getting the virus and everything, we took early steps to move the team and then make sure they're working from home. And just similar to like a lot of other crypto projects in the space, we continue to develop and we actually did a couple of new things or like brand new stuff in 2020. I want to mention like 
version five is the current live version and then version six we did a lot of work on that so it's coming up pretty soon and our me wallet the mobile wallet that mobile application that made by my wallet is also went through a lot of upgrades and like had a lot of new features to it. Mutopia, our educational platform had a ton of articles written. And I believe we, you know, one way or another, we made a lot of people more educated in this space. Were you guys the first like wallet for Ethereum? And were you guys the first wallet for mobile as well? Or I don't think it's for the mobile, right? No, for sure. Definitely not for the mobile, but even for the Ethereum, there were a couple of wallets came up around the same time frame, but definitely they did not survive in the long run. And then, I mean, of course, you can see a lot of other wallets now, but like a lot of wallets that came up in like towards the beginning of Ethereum mainnet disappeared after like six, seven, eight months. And only my wallet lived through the hardship. Because you had to think about it this way, right? Like when Ethereum first came out, there was no actual value proposition. Like no one was making money. And ETH was what, 33 cents or dollar back then. So it's not like a very beneficial project for anyone to do. And therefore, not that many projects worked on Ethereum or not that many wallets were working on Ethereum back then. What would you say is the business model for my Ether wallet? I mean, the wallet business is it's quite a hard business to monetize, right? Do you agree with that? Yeah, totally, definitely. And also being an open source project also like has its disadvantages, right? I mean, it doesn't matter what we do. Like even if we, for example, I'm never going to do this, but like, let's say we assume that, okay, we are going to charge each person to send a transaction. And since we are open source, it's possible for anyone to just clone it and then take that code out and just use it as a free service. So definitely being open source has its disadvantages, but I think the advantages at the end of the day overcomes all the disadvantages in the space because it just gives community and like other developers a lot of power and then they can contribute to open source project. And I've seen this in the past six years that like ton and a lot of contributors to my the world project and they're still contributing. So yeah, to answer your question, how to monetize a wallet or a project similar to that, it's about like how creative you can be about the whole situation. So the way that we monetize it, we always go after the other businesses. So when we partner with a company or another project, like for example, right now we have our swaps are powered by One Inch and DexAG. So we take a commission out of that, like the whole swap process. So that's one way to monetize it. And our like exit to fiat gateways, for example, like when you want to convert your ETH to USD or ETH to euros and the other way around, right? Like when you have USD to ETH, we have all these bridges set up and then we take a commission out of the commission that the other companies or the third party provider that provides this whole swap situation to happen or swap scenario to happen charges. So yeah, it's all about like being creative about this whole situation. Where do people actually spend money and then see how to charge a fee off of that without actually making it cost a lot for the user. So I think that's one way. And then also at the same time, you're bringing in a lot of simplicity to the picture, right? Because it's not like now a user doesn't have to go through like a KYC, sign up with an exchange and do a whole bunch of like, Otherwise, the user has to spend two, three hours just to get their account set up. Now they don't have to do that. 
And that brings simplicity. The whole user experience is much better. And that's something a user is willing to pay for. Interesting. I'm sure there's yeah. a lot of interest in uh, token swap, especially now that oh, yeah. <laughs> we're entering like a from a centralized model to a decentralized exchange model. So it must definitely benefit like you guys with this trend, which is a good thing, I would say. It is definitely a good thing. I think pretty soon that, I mean, I'm not trying to make anyone get scared, but like, I think pretty soon decentralized exchanges will do higher volume than actual centralized exchanges. I think we're definitely headed that way. Only issue right now, as of right now, is the scaling issue, right? Like Ethereum cannot scale as fast as a centralized exchange. So as soon as we solve that one, I'm pretty sure we are headed towards like a completely decentralized exchanging process. Yeah, I mean, if you look at Uniswap volumes, Uniswap mm-hmm. on some days, they do more volume than what Coinbase does. So, mm, I mean, course. and I would say that most tier one exchanges are scared, but they are sort of still are able to compete with the decentralized exchanges. But like tier two and tier three centralized exchanges, I think mm. they must be struggling hard. I see no way how they can survive because their role has been taken over by any decentralized exchanges. And actually, I was doing an interview with someone recently and I asked mm-hmm. him, if you have a million dollars and you want to convert like ETH to USDT or ETH to a stablecoin, USDC, for yeah. example, would you rather do it on a centralized exchange like B or Binance or would you rather just swap it on a DEX aggregator like one inch? I did some quick search and quick check. Actually, what I found was that the depth on the decentralized exchanges was deeper than what it was on a centralized exchanges. So even for large sums like a million dollars to swap, like it is actually already probably more, it's probably cheaper and less slippage on DEX than on Centralized exchanges. And on actual centralized exchanges, that's, exactly. that's, that's really interesting. Especially for those popular pairs, right? Like ETH to USDT, ETH to USDC. I think there's a ton of volume, ton of like, you know, like people already have enough invested in it and they're yeah. willing to exchange and it goes both back and forth. So for sure, like stable coins are definitely going to take over most of these centralized exchanges coin situation because what they're really dominating right now in the space is that their fiat options right because if the person if someone actually wants to get their dollars out get their like euros out they have to use a centralized exchange or they have to use a provider that can facilitate that process so that's where these centralized exchanges are dominating but now that we have stable coins inside Ethereum or inside other chains, making it less of an issue for a person to have actual physical USD, they'd rather have like USDT, which is exactly the same. And one of the things that you mentioned earlier, which I could agree on, like that is hindering like yeah. those decentralized exchanges from taking over more market share from centralized exchanges is really the Ethereum network being congested and having high gas fee. I mean, like paying $50, $100 for a swap I mean, it's mm-hmm. fine if you're making a thousand, ten thousand dollars transaction, but like it's not really feasible if yeah. you're trying to hundred dollars, for example, right? So we are yeah. sort of seeing there are a few ways people are trying to scale Ethereum. I mean, there's optimism, there is Arbitrum, there are a bunch of different layer two solutions like Polygon and so on. And Ethereum is also going through layer one scalability as well with ETH 2.0 and so on. So I suppose with yeah. all these changes with layer two, with ETH 2.0 coming up, there must be quite some fundamental retooling of my wallet that must take place when all this thing comes about, right? So I would like to hear what are your yeah. thoughts about layer two and ETH 2.0 and how are you planning to evolve the product as this come along? Yeah, that's a great question. 
there are a ton of like actual layer two solutions that I prefer. And we are actually in talks with some of them on integrating it into my wallet and new wallet and all of our other products. And even so, at least like we can say, okay, POE 2.0, POE solution is at least, let's just say at least a year away, right? Like from now on, because it's been already like a half a year past since they introduced Beacon Chain. So at least a year away, and then we're going towards that. And then that means like my wallet has at least one year to like figure out this tooling. And this is actually, this is pretty similar to how Ethereum mainnet was in 2015, August. There were no tools. So I personally had to code some of those tools that we used back then because like the libraries did not exist. So my wallet definitely used that. I think that's another advantage that my wallet has. We are willing to take that next step and actually like develop these tools that are needed to make it seamless for our users. So we are always ready to do that. And like, for example, right, like we support E2 staking already. And in order to support that, support E2 staking, you had to support E2 key store files. So it's something that we worked to. We actually started like coding it and then realized Chainsafe actually made a library for that. And we are still grateful. We're super thankful for Chainsafe. And we use that. But like, even if that did not exist, my developer would have created it to keystore libraries so that we can support it to staking. Similar to that, I think something might happen recently. I know there's a lot of opposing, or like at least miners that are opposing this proposal, EIP-1559, which is basically cutting off the profit from miners, right? Mining pools. And if that gets merged in, that will require some changes to basic structure of Ethereum transactions. So we have to make some changes to support that as well. And at that point, gas price will be something that users don't even have to think about because it'll be automatically calculated. And I love it because we can just take out the gas price selection from our menus. So that's one less thing user has to do when they're sending a transaction the lesser, the better, like the minimal amount of actions a user has to do to accomplish their task is really good. It's really well done to use the experience or UI, in my opinion. So that's where I want to be. And I know at the end of the day, community makes the decision, right? Like miners makes the decision. And that's the beauty of this decentralized ecosystem, because it doesn't matter like, oh, Vitaly going to stand up and be like, he's going to support EIP-1559. But that's not going to change anything. At the end of the day, it's all up to the community. It's all up to the miners to decide whether they will support it or not. And I really like that. And based on whatever the changes that happens to Ethereum, my wallet and all of my wallet products, my wallet team is ready to make the necessary changes mm-hmm. to support that. And what about layer two? Like, I mean, are you planning to support like optimism and all the other layer twos or just kind of like beyond the scope of... So yeah, yeah, for sure. We are already in talks with two layer two solutions and then see like how and the best way to accomplish or like implement that so that it will be seamless to the user. There's still like the main problem with any layer two solution is that you have to lock your, whatever the tokens you want to do in a different contract. So you have to do a mainnet transaction and then the layer two will display, okay, you have this much. And I think there's no way to get around that, but like we have to be creative, like the wallet services needs to be 
creative to support that and make it seamless to the user so the user properly understand mm. what's happening yeah and in a layer two market is very fragmented at this point in time we have like five six ten different layer two solutions and mm -hmm. For every user, like this is just really confusing. It's like if but layer two on optimism, <laughs> if but on polygon. It's just really, really confusing. And I've tried locking if in some of these layer tools. Every uh -huh. single one has its own interface and it's just really confusing. Like I just got to learn and be familiar because you don't want to screw up, right? And you only want to try yeah. like a small amount. You don't want to put like massive amount in there on the first try <laughs> because you might make a mistake. And I don't know, like, I think what the guys at Zappo are doing is sort of like they've integrated with Polygon. So kind of like a unified okay. interface. So like you can kind of transfer your ETH from layer one to Polygon. And then like, I suppose they can add like the other layer two solutions on there. And it's all kind of a unified oh, interface. Okay. So it's like from a user's point of view, it's like, okay, I don't really have to worry about all the other kind of UI. Mm -hmm. I just need to be familiar with one. And that's kind of which I definitely want to check it out. I didn't see it yet, mm -hmm. but I will definitely check it out. But that's the main issue, right? Like, because at the end of the day, you don't know exactly, like from a user's perspective, Ethereum is already kind of complicated for a new user. And like now add all these layer two solutions on top <laughs> of each other, right? Like that's gets mind-blowing, <laughs> mind exactly. And I think that's the job of like wallet services and mm -hmm. other dApps to make it seamless so that user understands a user is willing to take the next step and not get confused and then stop in step one. Yep. I think that's really important. And what do you guys think of a multi-chain world? I mean, do you also support other blockchains? I know from the start, you guys have like, you can tweak the RPC and I know you support Tomo chain yeah. and a few other chains. Like, I suppose you support Binance Smart Chains these days as well. Yeah. So anything based on Ethereum stack, we can easily support that. Any layer two solution on Ethereum stack also like, yeah, as long as they use the same RPC systems. But the thing is that in order to support something like Bitcoin, right? It requires a lot of changes, not from a backend perspective. It's not like, think about it this way. Ethereum is the first interface that actually made a reason for hardware wallets to connect to a web interface. Like basically my Ether wallet was the first interface so that Ledger made the necessary changes so that it can connect to a website, like it added U2F connection for technical users. But that does not exist for any Bitcoin apps. Like Bitcoin hardware wallets doesn't have that support. So it's like th there's so many technical difficulties that we have to overcome if you want to keep the same interface and add another chain on top of it. And I believe Ethereum and like all Ethereum-based chains have a lot more to offer than simple value transfer like in Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin, just A to B, you send your Bitcoins to a person B and then you receive and all that. So I was thinking at some point in time, maybe like not change my Ether wallet to support other chains. Why not come up with a completely new interface that one purpose only support like value transferred coins? So I'm just like speaking out loud my thoughts here, but I think that might be a better way to answer that question than, okay, my Ether wallet will support Bitcoin. I think that comes with a lot more difficulties, a lot more technical difficulties and like UI difficulties if you want to take that route and then mm -hmm. implement that. So if anything, it'll be the other one. 
where it'll be a new interface that supports uh, value transfer coins. Do, do you guys plan to, at some point, like launch like a browser wallet, kind of like a Chrome extension, like MetaMask, like for example? We, <laughs> we actually do. It's not that popular. It's called New CX. Well, right now it's not available because it always goes through these phishing attacks, right? Like mm. some of the things that phishers do right now, they're like, 1,000, 1,500 people will just go and like report spam the Chrome extension. And then Google, without knowing anything, they'll take down the extension. And now these fishes will put up a different extension with the same name. So unfortunately, uh. people do download these like fake extensions. So this happened like literally three days ago. We are trying to contact Google at this point in mm. time. They took down MuCX again. It has about like 200,000 users. So it's not like a small oh, enough okay. extension for just Google to know. But this happened in the past too. And I know MetaMask went through the similar situation in the past. But it's just, it's such a bad like way of Google handling these reports. So it's kind of like you have a legitimate extension, the hackers, mm -hmm. the fishers coordinated spam attack on Google to have yeah. it taken down. And once it's down, they put out a fake extension, extension. with a similar name impersonating yep. you guys oh that's exactly. super annoying i know welcome to our world this happened to metamask a couple of times this happened to us before elsewhere and then the part that really make it worse is that there's no like contacts with google yeah. you have to go through that regular developer contact channels to uh, let them know this is what's happening and then they have to manually review it and be like oh that's what's happening and then reinstate yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of annoying dealing with big tech companies like customer support is pretty much non-existent. You got like everything yep. just goes through that email and you pray and hope that somebody reads and understands and sees what you're trying to say. Exactly. I know it's annoying, but it's something that we have to go through. And talking about phishing and all, right, I'm sure that that's not the only story that you have. I mean, there's a lot of instances of scammers trying to impersonate my wallet. I mean, tell us some of the scariest stories. All the time. I mean, through. we have a good group right now handling all of our like phishing attacks and like takedowns. Fishfort, I'm really impressed by the work that they do. But yeah, this is something that's ongoing and it's like constantly we get notifications or there's a new domain registration similar to my wallet. At some point in time, I think there were over 3,000. This is like a, two years ago. Domains, when I actually did some research, that was similar to my Ether wallet that got registered. Like, you know, my Ether wallet, but with two E's, mm. or like my Ether wallet with like three L's, like things like that. It's very similar. And then it's really hard for people to distinguish between the real my Ether wallet and this one. But I'm really glad that we don't have to deal with that as much as we used to right now, thanks to like the amount of work Fishfort is doing around this whole like taking down phishing sites. But it's definitely something that we go through every day and it's happening every day. But I think at the same time, users are way more smart now. They actually figure out these things sooner than later, soon before they actually lose money to these users. But we still here and there get some emails saying, okay, like I uploaded my key here. And then next thing I know, my wallet is empty. So what happened? Send me back my funds. Unfortunately, it's not. At the end of the day, when we do some research, they did it on a phishing site. Yeah, I mean, it's and kind of annoying, you know, all these things, right? It is right? annoying. It's so annoying. It's sad to read these emails from the customers. 
unfortunately, we're doing everything that we can possibly do. And still some of these fishes figure out like loopholes to go through. And especially like telegram groups, there are a ton of fake telegram groups. And even in Twitter, like a lot of people impersonate each other. And so like they used all these like social networks and all they need is one user who get caught yeah. and then they make enough. So the ROI is really high for these attacks. And I think that's the main reason why they're going after it. But it, we are making it harder and harder every day. Yeah, it's the same thing. Like, I mean, we get these things as well. But I, I, don't, I don't know if you've seen these things, but like they have this like coin gecko, but instead of having a normal eye, they have the Russian uh-huh. eye with a slight. Oh, wow. Yeah, so they have, they bought a coin gecko, eye with a, there's many different eyes, like eye with a two dot. There's all these different languages. Unicodes. Eyes. Yeah, yeah, unicodes, yeah. And they have yeah. all these things. So it's really hard to kind of detect all these things from like, and then they send emails out and people who are not particularly careful, they just respond to all these spammers. Some of them, they don't even keep the front end. So they bought this domain, the website doesn't load, nothing shows up or they just redirect to our site, but then they use the email attack and that's kind of really oh, annoying. Wow. Yeah, that is sad. I mean, unfortunately, yeah, it is happening every day. Yeah, I think all of us in the crypto space are facing yep. one or this mm-hmm. form of attack. Yeah. And do you still face issues where I remember a few years ago when you go and type my wallet on Google, the first result is a sponsored search, which is a phishing site like from Google. <laughs> I don't think, I mean, we haven't gotten any requests in like, at least like the last two years about that, yeah. something like that. So it's possible that at some point, like Google realized what's happening and then they added like a hard coded block on mm-hmm. things like that. But no, we haven't seen that happening recently so that's a good thing that's a huge help yeah i mean techies like us we know better than to click on any of these sponsored search but like from the retail guys a lot of them click on the first result and even though it's a paid result they just click on it and like that's really really dangerous for sure i totally agree with you on that and talking about support requests right i'm sure you get like tons of emails from regular users who don't really understand the Ethereum network well. I mean, like people getting scammed, people who put too low a gas fee and then their transaction gets stuck for hours. I mean, you guys must get a lot of these support um, requests. How do you guys so, handle this thing? Do you answer all tickets or kind of like just hope by time some of them just resolve um, by itself? No, we hired recently, not two weeks ago, hired two more support people to help with the support tickets. You know, like the price went up. No, everyone was happy. Our tickets went up too. <laughs> so we were struggling. So right now we had a team call today. Right now we have 1,400 tickets in our queue. Okay. I thought, so, I, I thought I had a lot of tickets. So it sounds like you had a lot too. <laughs> we have 1,400 tickets on web queue and then about like, I think 900 on the mobile queue. So it's an ongoing effort and people, I mean, we sometimes have to like redirect some people. Okay. You don't have to, you can't do what you're doing right now please go and help the support team and like, let's get the queue down. It's not necessarily about because something's wrong with the site or not, they can't get something. People do get like confused on doing things. Like for example, okay, why is my transactions taking too long? So they immediately think, okay, it's because of the wallet. Wallet did something wrong. It's not because of the gas prices. So it's just like, we just need to be able to help them out. And like make them understand, okay, it's not that you are paying us the fee, it's the network fee that you're paying. And then that we need that 
or the network need that to happen. Otherwise, the transaction will not go through or like transaction will not be mined on within like five minutes. So whatever the time you're expecting it to be mined. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, things like that, it's just needs usually just like one email going the other way. It's like they'll send us an email. We explain them and that's the end of the story for most of the support tickets. It's not like we get, I mean, some of those tickets are like, yeah, you had to go back and forth a while. And then some are really helpful. Like some of these people are amazingly helpful because sometimes it is one of those edge cases, right? It could be a random token that whenever that person tried to send that token out, it failed. And we are scratching our heads trying to figure out, okay, why we can send this token back and forth. And why cannot this person send the token back and forth? And it sometimes turns out that, okay, they didn't wait, like whatever the freezing period that token contract has. Oh, Some token contracts are like, oh, token. you cannot transfer within. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, that's one Everyone received that airdrop on their, on their wallet and you can't <laughs> sell that shit coin. <laughs> 10,000 kick tokens. Oh my gosh. Yes. And there were some tokens that just did like airdrop and it was basically every single like block, Ethereum block was filled by this token's airdrops. Like they had sent so many transactions. So every block is filled by that. And it's like, it has, they were sending it to literally every wallet that they can possibly think of. So my phone, like the new wallet app on my phone, like was constantly sending me push notifications. Oh, you received new token. You received new token. You received new tokens. <laughs> because I'm like, wait, I did not receive any token. These are shit tokens. Why, why is this happening? But yeah, we went through that as well. Topics a support team right now in view. Support team right now is about, I mean, if you just consider just the support team, right? Like the people that we hired only to do support about six, seven. Wow, that's huge. <laughs> yeah. But sometimes we make other people go do support as well. So Sometimes it's like 10 people just doing support. But oh, that's a lot of resources to dedicate we, for support. No, unfortunately, we have, like I told you, we have 1,400 tickets or like, yeah, what, 1,400 yeah, yeah. plus like, like 2,300 tickets in the queue. And at the same time, I mean, I'm not complaining because like our visitors went through the roof over yeah. the past like three months or so. So understandable. How big is the tire my the wallet team these days? We have about... 20 full-time employees and then like i think six to seven contractors mm-hmm. working mm-hmm. all across the world basically yeah that's good to hear yeah and i'm just curious right like most people using the desktop wallet or the mobile app wallet these days so good questions i think well when we initially made me wallet the mobile app i believe that eventually whole space will go towards mobile it's not just because, okay, like mobile is the handheld device. It's easy to do the transactions. Yeah, those are all positive signs. But at the same time, you have to think like a lot of emerging markets, right? Yep. Like a lot of developing countries. I was in Sri Lanka for like a whole year in 2020 and not everyone has a desktop, but almost everyone has a smartphone. So that's, I mean, if you're planning to get to that market, you have to have a mobile app. That said, no, still like web is getting way more visitors than like at least, I don't know, like I'd say four to five X mm-hmm. visitors than actual users than Mew, yeah. Mew Wallet. But Mew Wallet is still new. So yeah, we are planning for the next five years, not like next yeah. year. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, I guess, I mean, people in developing countries will most likely just interact via the mobile app, but like heavy yeah. users like you and me, we are so used to the oh, desktop. They're yeah. like... Forget about it. No, like, mobile app, I ha- I'm going to be honest with you. I hardly use the mobile app. Yeah, I wouldn't trust like, used- anything of value. Like, I mean, anything less than $100 is fine, but like anything more than that, like purely like desktop. Desktop, desktop. yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then we are also comfortable with the desktop. Yeah. I think that's another issue. So we... We would rather do it on desktop than like actual mobile app. So yeah. but it's a very different thing, right? I mean, it's like two very, very different kind of users. Yeah. And there are a ton of users who are just like super comfortable with mobile phone. Yep. Yeah, for them, that's the internet, right? Like everything's mm-hmm. true, like the phone. They haven't really used the desktop. I mean, desktop is completely alien to them, just like how we want to use and transact on the mobile app, they probably feel the same for desktop. It feels more harder than... than yeah. It's like Windows users or like Linux users versus Mac users, right? Mm-hmm. I would use Linux any day and every day, but like there are not that many people, like there are a ton of Mac users who's so like, I'm not moving away from a Mac. This is it. Like I'm not comfortable using anything else. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. So what's kind of a plan for my wallet like in the next... One, two, five years, for example. This whole space is changing constantly. So it's really hard to give like specific plans. But no, we really focus on creating the best user interface that we can offer to all the Ethereum users. So at the end of the day, we want to, like if you can accomplish something, whatever that means, right? Like POS, when Ethereum E2.0 comes out, like we will have a ton of changes because we'll add 64x scale like we'll scale by 64x than like the current capacity and that means ton of apps ton of apps who use that capability of ethereum and that means we have to support that my wallet has to support that so we will always be open source trustworthy and be the nexus point of ethereum that's where we i want to be we want to be as the, the whole team in like doesn't matter three years four years five years you just like if you want to accomplish something in ethereum you can use my Ether wallet that's good man anything that i should ask you that i haven't really asked you yet before we wrap this up or any final no, words for I, think, example? I think you you asked a ton of questions i hope i was helpful in answering them cool man yeah it's been a great awesome. time talking to you on this podcast today yeah super nice to talk to you as well thank you so much thank you very much for coming on the show bye Alright, that wraps up the show. Thank you for listening to the CoinGecko podcast with Bobby. If you like our show and want to know more, check out podcast.coingecko.com or please leave us a review on iTunes. If you have any feedback, do drop us an email at hello at coingecko.com. Join us for more next week. See ya! This podcast is provided as part of the overall information on cryptocurrency contained on our website, is for your general information only, and does not, howsoever, constitute any endorsement, financial or investment advice, nor any solicitation or offer of securities or other financial instruments. CoinGecko and the podcast presenter makes no warranties, implied or expressed, of any kind in relation to this podcast, including, without limitation, the accuracy and updatedness of its content. All opinions and recommendations therein the podcast are based on the personal opinion of the presenter. Please conduct your own research and procure professional advice should you, at your own risk, decide to howsoever invest or trade in relation to the content contained in the podcast.